Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be talking about Netflix's The Witcher Blood Origin. We are joined today by showrunner Declan Debara, along with cast members Sophia Brown, Lawrence O'Furen, Hugh Novelli, and Francesca Mills. And, and Declan, starting with you, I wanted to talk a little bit about the challenges of, of writing a show like this, especially for a limited series, because you have audiences who are so familiar with the world of The Witcher and people where this series will be their introduction to the entire landscape. So you have to ensure that you contextualize enough details for audiences that might never have been in this world before. And you're building this huge scope in terms of what the landscape of the show is and all the different realms within it and all the characters. And at the same time, you need to make sure that it's always incredibly grounded and feels very intimate in the way that we connect to all of these characters throughout the narrative. And so with that idea of, of building an incredibly large scope of a show, but with a very grounded intimacy, I was interested in what the challenges were that came with that. Yeah, and wrap it all up in a bow of four episodes. Um, yeah, it was uh, like being given keys to a Ferrari and uh, told to drive around a, a racetrack at 200 miles per hour and don't crash. Um, it was a lot of fun, uh, terrifying and fun, because you have the fans, you have the books, who are, you know, just absolutely obsessed down to every single detail. And you know they'll be pouring over every single detail. And they have that version in their head um, from reading the book or playing the game that is separate to the next fan, that is separate to the next fan. So you're never going to be able to satisfy everybody, but you still have to take that whole collective uh, tone and feed it into a new world that's just fresh snow. And you think, oh, it's fresh snow, I can do anything. But that's the terror as well. You can do anything. Um and you have to thread it back to the main main world. Um, and then, you know, I bit off as much as I could chew. I said, okay, let's not just do this through one character, let's do it to seven um, on, and then add in some more. So we have, you know, a, a cast of 15 or whatever you've got a service in the four, uh, you know, in a world that people don't know. Um, so it was a lot of case of just trying to ground it with, populated with people uh, in this case, elves, but that represented our world so that when you looked on screen, you weren't thrown as much, even though it was a fantastical world, you could still see elements of yourself and your world around you in it reflected back. So it, it felt okay. So that helps in terms of world building. And then just having people, you just not over explaining the world too much, just giving enough breadcrumbs so people can understand what's going on and trying to do as much visually as possible rather than having people go, so this is a monolith. Monoliths are made of, you know, uh, quantide, peptide, uh, you know, Epsom salts and blah, blah, blah. And they're imbued with the magic of seven suns. So you just try and avoid that and have people understand as much as possible and root it in the character um, and what people want and what they can't have and, why people are feeling shitty that day and what they're scared of and who they love and um, just tell the story through that and march forward. And then hopefully the audience, the audiences are really smart. Um, uh, you know, sometimes you've got to lay pipe, as they say, with exposition because there's just no way around it. Um, I like um, the showrunner from uh, Peaky Blinders. That's a good one. If you've got to lay pipe, you got to have exposition, make it angry or make it fast. So try and do it during a fight <laughs> if possible um, so you can get past it. Um, and that was that was the technique for most of it. And we had great writers and I had a great partner um, to when I got stuck, I would just bring this guy up and chat to him and go like, what do you think? Are we there? Yeah. Okay, that's a good idea. I like that. We'll go with that. It, uh, Ayla plays a lute. Yeah, or whatever. So that was it. <laughs> 
Amazing. And, and, you know, speaking of that idea of, of exposition through, uh, through a fight, um, Sophia, the first scene in which we really get to know your character, there's so many details packed into the moment where we meet her performing and singing and really just in that space of what gives her incredible passion in life. And then instantly the moment that there's trouble, she steps into action and we see that side of her very quickly. And then I love the fact that that stunt sequence follows through into the rest of the music performance. And it's a very different delivery in that moment. And so I was interested in, in the dynamic of coming into a show and filming a scene like that, where you're giving the audience so much exposition of your character so instantaneously, and you're having to also capture so many different levels of strength and vulnerability and action sequences and music performance all within one, one moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was really fun. We the way in which we built the characters was like um, we kind of just like nurtured them like little babies, and um, we were given the time to kind of um, really like go through little details because of um, fight rehearsal, and and we mean Lawrence were in a, in a boot camp learning the fight sequences so alongside that we were able to like have conversations about our character and so by the time it got to to shooting some of those like more complex scenes where I was kind of straddling the two sides of Ayla it was like I felt you know really prepared to do them because the fight sequences were in my body and I found by the time we were shooting like particularly like the the, the singing scenes um I felt like I had, I knew Ayla's voice. And so I could kind of just um, play around with it on the day. So I think if we didn't have that prep period, then I might feel a little bit, you know, all over, all over the shop. But um, yeah, it felt, I felt grounded because we had that time. So, yeah. And respect yeah. it too, because, and to Lawrence, you know, uh, all of you, because we had the stunt doubles waiting, you know, on all the makeup, Nearly every scene, like they're ready to go. Yeah. Like, we'll jump in for this bit. I don't think we use the poor uh, guys at all during the entire series. That when you see the fights, that's Lawrence, that's Sophia. They're, we don't have the doubles. They're like they they nailed it. You know, we n- didn't have to use doubles for any of that. They just went for it. So, props. That's exactly. <laughs> and and Lawrence, when when we meet your character, we get to meet him in an instant where he's really grounded and he has a real sense of who he is and his purpose in life. And then that's so quickly, completely stripped away from him. Everybody Mm -hmm. that he knows and has been close to suddenly he's banished from that space. This idea of, of a destiny and a fate that he was meant to follow and a purpose is completely stripped away. And so what was that dynamic for you in creating the foundation of a character and then so quickly having to strip away all of these elements and look at who he is when he's untethered to that degree? Well, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, for me, Fial, he, he was unhappy within his position within the clan, and I think he was uh, he was complicit in it in it in it with society and and like a regime that was really hurting the people. But he just he didn't know any other way really, and I think that that was he, that was a lot he, he was struggling with. And um, it's until he meets Ayla throughout the story, she kind of teaches him a new way of living because the, both of them are warriors, and he just can't understand that how she could walk away from her clan. Because it's just something that they don't do, and um, yeah, just being being educated by her in the ways of the world and having his mind open up to a, a, a way to um, help people and, and maybe like you know live a different way. And um, I mean, yeah, I think that was how we grow, how we see Fell grow within the series, and it's, it's down to 
in meeting Ayla, really. Absolutely. And, and Hugh, you know, I feel like one of, one of the common themes throughout this show with characters is seeing this juxtaposition of immense strength and vulnerability. And when your character first meets this group that's starting to form and gradually build, you know, it's, it's the strength side of him that comes forth, but it's so quick for him to be able to pivot and see them um, as people that he's connected to and to want to become part of whatever it is that they're doing and offer, you know, oh, I can I can take Michelle Yeoh's character to a healer. I know somebody. So he's already problem solving and caring about their survival and well-being. Um, and so how did you want him to come into the show and really show the more brutish side of, of who he has to be in terms of this world and survival, but then also allow for that vulnerability and connectivity that he's able to form very quickly with everybody? Mm-hmm. I, I would love to take uh, take the the, the 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 kind of kudos for that, but to be honest, it, it was all in the writing. Uh, it was all there already when I when I first stepped into it. You know, um, we meet Brother Death at a time where he's kind of turned his back on the kind of monster that he was turned into. You know, stripped away from his family and, and thrown into war and turned into a kind of a killing machine, if you like. Um, and he's turned his back on that. He's he's found love, uh, found his heart again. And it, it, he's a beautiful character, I think, um, because he he he's a big guy. You know, he's a big, scary guy, but he has a heart and he has a soul. And I think that's that's in the writing. Um, and I didn't have to do a lot to bring that out, really. Um, and I think it's not only shown with his his love with with the group that he's in, but also the friendships that he sparks up with with Meldoff. And, you know, I always remember reading first ever reading the script. And I just thought that was such a beautiful relationship, the relationship between between Brother Death and Meldoff. And, you know, I was very lucky to, that, that Fran was, you know, as lovely and brilliant as she is because it just made it so easy to do so. Yeah, for me, that was as soon as I read it, that was that was the beauty of the character. You know, the fact that he has this this kind of big brutish look and this kind of, you know, me kill man type type vibe going on. But it's not painting by numbers. You know, there's a there's a real heart and a real soul. And it was a, a, a pure joy to to explore that it really was. But credit to you, Hugh, you know, I mean. There was an original scene where we meet Brother Death, but because of COVID, we had to cut the scene. We weren't able to shoot it where we actually meet him in his village and the village is burnt out. And we have Fial and Ella and Michelle in the writing trees village and you hear the sound of water. And then we come across, they, you look up and you see his brother Death and he's urinating on three severed heads of soldiers. And they just, everybody still looks like he's like, hey, and they nod back, hey, you know, and that sets up his character. And I was going, we have to cut this, you know, this is going to be tough. And, but then I, I knew that Hugh could pull it off when we met him, that he'd carry all that in and he projected all that. So it's, it's hats off to him for being able to do that. I love, I love that that was potentially a scene in the show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Fran, for you, you know, so much of your your character is is driven by the sense of loss and and having had this this love of her life, Gwen, who has been taken from her very brutally, and and her purpose in life since then, it feels like has just been about avenging that. And we see her in the arc of the show go from a space of 
still having certain accomplishments to make in that? And then what does it look like once you've actually achieved that and carrying her to this space where she herself says, I feel really empty right now. And, and, and it's also really beautiful to watch her in a space where she doesn't see death as something to fear. She sees it as a passageway back to Gwen and a, and a potential place where they can be reunited. Um, and so what, what, how did you go into building that emotional arc of what does it look like for her still to be trying to avenge the death of someone that she loved so much? And then what does it look like when she suddenly realizes that it doesn't really give you that fulfillment at the end of the day and it just leaves this emptiness and longing and almost this this lack of of care for self you know if I die everything's still going to be okay in the world I think what's what's beautiful about Maldoff's arc is that the audience get to see a real shift in carrot in like how the world ends Maldoff's journey and it doesn't go how Maldoff thought it was going to go and I think that's what's so beautiful beautiful about life is that sometimes you'll end up in situations where you're like, oh, blimey, I didn't see this coming. But now that it's happening, this is ex- exactly what I needed at this point. And I think Meldoff had no purpose when she came agro- across the set, the six, her then becoming the, the seventh. But it was the perfect time for her to come across them because she needed a family. <laughs> she needed... Um, she'd been on her own for so long. And I think she loved that. And I think she wouldn't admit to herself how much she wanted to have someone to talk to at the end of the evening or to have another mission or to have, because it was a lonely quest she's been on. Um, So I think through meeting the six, we then see a bit more of her heart that, oh my God, you're Puss Cat. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Such a beautiful cat. Um, We then see her heart and we see her open up more. And we also see her open up to elves, which is something I don't think she would have ever seen herself doing, is making stew in her cave for a bunch of elves. But then it is the lark. And I think she's got a bit of a crush slash crush on Ayla's talent in wiping out the town of Gilfin. And so like she, so I think she's a bit starstruck. And she even she doesn't know how she's navigating this am I hosting these elves in my house? But she is the lark and it all just happens to Meldoff. And I don't think it's until the end where she'd sit down and be like, blimey, that was quite a character development, Meldoff, you went on. Um, but life's, I think it, it's a, it's it's very human of life that life takes you in paths that you don't expect. And it was easy to relate to that because we can all, I think as, as, personally as an actor sometimes I'll make a goal something like a job or something and then you get to that point that you've imagined for years and years and years and then you're like oh wait was that it and you try and fight like it's a feeling in a sense of um what is life like what is the meaning and I think love love is the meaning (laughs) in my opinion and and I think that's what Meldoff discovers is that love and family is her purpose in my opinion (laughs) thank you and you know in in terms of speaking of character arcs Lawrence and Sophia in in a very short space of time the two of you have to build a real emotional arc between your two characters you know when when Ayla first meets Fial her initial instinct is you're someone that I want to kill and then you bring them to a space where talking about spoilers for the end of the season literally she's holding him 
in her arms after having to be the person that takes his life. And I thought that that was so beautifully crafted in terms of the nuance. It never felt like the, the intimacy and the connection that builds between them was rushed and it never felt like it was taking too long. Um, And there's such delicacy to trying to build it in that particular way. And so I was interested in how the two of you really used a lot of the backstory of your characters and the fact that they're both running from things in their past and, and struggling with a lot internally because of that to really build this very beautiful nuanced connectivity between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, we, we as Sophia mentioned, we, um, we had a boot camp for about two months. Mm-hmm. And um, me and Sophia, we were in there pretty much every single day. And through that process, we were finding our characters, but we're also becoming very close ourselves. And we kind of built a relationship that we were able to bring to set and filter into the performances. And I think with Fial, for me, I mean, he definitely felt, well, he thought he was in love with Miron. And... Um, he struggled with that and he just couldn't understand how she could do something like that. And as that's happening, um, he's also fallen for Ayla because she's like someone he's never, ever met before. And he's realizing that he actually loves her and where the, the latter was lust. And I think he gets his heart broken pretty much twice at the end of the series um, when he discovers that it's all true, you know, what people have been saying and stuff. Um, but, but yeah, well, in terms of me and Sophia, I mean, Again, we worked together pretty much every single day. You know, we became really, really close. And it, it just, it just, it was, I don't want to say it was easy, you know, but it was, it was, yeah. And we just had fun with it and, and enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think as well, similar to like um, Meldoff's character, I think all the characters are kind of like running away or have like turned away from their family or their communities and are on their own kind of like lonesome journey. And so there's a part of them where, you know, they're lonely. And I really felt that with Ayla and I kind of felt that from Fial's character. And so I think we both just, um, I think our characters bond because of that. And then as Lawrence said, like, we just, I think we were just there every single day, just really like, I mean, yeah, just going to set and talking about the characters and just really like exhausting conversations some days and really being like, let's 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 put this down now. And then two seconds later being like, well, should we should we read it again? And we were just constantly in that world and we couldn't get out of it. And and so I think by the time we were on set, it was like I think we'd created this little bubble for ourselves to kind of just like slip into. And it kind of was a little magical world in a magical world. And I would second what Lawrence said. It was easy um, a lot of the time. I think a lot of the characters, like they mirror each other. I mean, they all have a really scared past and um, something traumatic that happened to them. And they're all kind of on a quest for like redemption or revenge or, you know, self-discovery. And I think when they get together as a group, they can all relate in that way. And that's kind of how they form a little kind of bond. But there's also the element as well of personalities and abilities so obviously when we're casting i picked the best actors that suited these roles and you know we had lawrence and sophia do a little chemistry test where like you know sort of auditioning together and you, you that helps a lot but you can never tell if that magic thing is there you know because they're all brilliant actors but you can't tell if that little thing is there that extra special sauce that just makes everything sing on 
between characters when we're on screen. And I remember on day, I think it was day two, um, I came on set and they were ribbing each other mercilessly, uh, taking the piss out of each other. And I went, yeah, we're good. Uh, so, <laughs> and, then we're fine. and then we struck gold twice because then I think day three or four, I, I don't know what it was, but we had like, when we're putting the, the whole seven together, you, you think, oh, well, this is never going to, the seven of them all aren't going to get together, you know. But no, there's Michelle taking a piss out of Lauren. Everybody's taking a piss out of each other and just enjoying <laughs> it. It's the family unit. So it was like striking gold twice. You can't pay for that. And you can have all the acting skins, skills in the world, but unless you have that thing, who knows? I love that. And, and Hugh and Fran, in terms of, of the, the stunt work in the show, I love how much every single character's fighting style really represents their character. It's like with Meldor, she's got like this amazing mallet and there's a moment, you know, but also she can like very delicately fire off a bow and arrow, um, you know, and, and so for both of you in terms of going through that boot camp and going through all of that training before you started production, what was that journey of working with the stunt team and really figuring out not just how to do sequences, but how are we going to tell a story about character through the way that they move in these sorts of scenes throughout the show? Is that me first? <laughs> you gave me a nod to be like, you go first. <laughs> um, I, I loved doing the stunt work. I loved the discipline of it. I think Adam Horton and his team, you're working with the greats. And also they they would have such an understanding of the characters before you'd even had a conversation with them that they'd show a fight and it would all be character-led for them when they were choreographing the fights. So it would all make complete sense that on my part anyway there wasn't much conversation to be like oh I don't think Meldoff would do that I'd watch the demos and I'd be like oh my god that's exactly what Meldoff would do and like you know when you try to be cool but you're not cool that's me but Adam and his team they just are cool so they'd like I'd do something like yeah that would be badass and they'd be like no it would be more badass if you just like just let the weight of the hammer fall on someone's head and I'd be like Oh yeah, no, that's that's really badass. So they they also brought the cool element to the fights, which then makes you feel cool. So it's a it's a win win, really. Um, but yeah, I loved doing it. It was a real education for me, and especially when you add, I've I've done fight sequences in theatre before, but not on uh, film and that in like TV and film. So that's a different with the cameras and learning what camera gets each shot and. It's more uh, dis. There's a word like broken apart than what it would be in one sequence. But I quite enjoyed that because it meant you could be like, oh, on this move, I really can just nail getting this perfect and safe. And then we'll have a break and we'll reassess what needs to happen for the. Because yeah, no, I loved it. I found it a real education. Yeah, and I think I think you're right, Fran, when you say that you feel so cool doing it, but. But no matter how cool you may feel and how how prepared you are and how good you think you are at doing it, as soon as you step foot on set with Michelle Yo, you know, she just makes you, you know, you you watch her and you're just like, well, there we are. That's how it's done, isn't it? You know, that that final scene that that me, Fran, and uh, Michelle had that fight in in the corridor there. You know, me and Fran rock up and we think, yeah, here we go. We've got a cool fight. Yeah, yeah, look at us, look at us. And Michelle just comes in and it's like a ballet and it's just so beautiful. And we're just like, yeah, well, I'm going to hit you. I'll hit you a bit harder. How's that? You know, Michelle's just, you know, she's she was 
a joy to watch, an absolute joy to watch when she. I can like, remember um, seeing Declan on set that day, and I was like, "Oh, Declan, <laughs> what are you doing here?" And Declan was like, "Michelle's fighting." <laughs> I've come to see Michelle she's got a full sequence and I'm like there is and literally slowly the crowd got bigger and bigger around this scene because everyone wanted to see Michelle do a one take wonder and she did she was amazing but um yeah you're watching one of the greats so it was awesome you only get to blink. You like you. Everybody gathers around, but you get one shot at watching her because she only ever does but like one, maybe two takes. Just like and just straight through, boom, and you go, and it's, it's like, and I'm done. You know, <laughs> my darlings. You know, she's just a gun. Um, but with fights, you know, right from the beginning, the writers in the room who are brilliant. Um, I'm and my uh, sort of co-writer Alex Meenan was on set all the time. Um, the fights had to have a beginning, middle, and end. That it had to mean something. And then we, you know, we sat down with Adam and we really, really honed these fights. So um, it, just the reviews coming in now and stuff, and people really loving these is great. As we actually, I just watched someone on YouTube who was like a military. Um, specialist and swordsman break down the bank fight and he was going this is brilliant this is exactly what you would have see she's staying back there with the smaller weapons picking off the people who are coming through and doing the cleanup and i was like yes yes so that was really really nice from a nerd point of view <laughs> and and declan and sophia I, I did want to talk about music in the show because it's so beautifully used in terms of both character exposition but also just creating this really specific tone and connectivity to other characters as well so there's a lot of different myriads and and Sophia obviously I know that you came into this not having done singing in any sort of professional facets and it just being something that you loved doing and then so stepping into a set like this where you're giving a cappella performances in the middle of a, an echoing cave is is quite a surmountable challenge and and Declan I've heard you say that that the intention wasn't originally to have music to this degree in the show, but that it kind of just very organically grew into being such a central part of it. And so I was interested in the dynamic for both of you, both in, in how that really became a lot more of the show. And so centralized around this character and then just the dynamic of coming in and filming a lot of those scenes and really using it to tell such a beautiful story about Ayla as a character. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never, I mean, I love to sing and it's definitely been something that I've like incorporated in some of my acting jobs personally, but um, I don't know. I I think when I originally read the script, I didn't necessarily, it didn't jump out to me how much music was there. It really felt so embedded in Ayla's character. I just was like, it felt so they felt glued together that she was a warrior and she was a musician. And I never really separated the fact that I was going to be acting and singing. It just felt like I was just going to be acting and this was the character. So, and the type of music that Declan wrote and Bear wrote, it was just like so perfect. It was like my soul kind of song. It was folky. It was like a sea song. And it was like something that I would sing to myself to make myself feel calm or comfortable. So I think um, it just felt so cozy for me to sing those songs and and like, um, I don't know, it, it really helped me just connect with Ayla and, and like figure out who she was. It was my gateway to her world and 
And I think that is who Ayla is as well. Like she finds herself and understands people and the world through song. And that very much was how I, Sophia, understood her. So it was awesome. I mean, I've, I would, I've always wanted to have been able to, you know, possibly sing or um, within like this sort of acting world. So to be able to do it and be able to sing like Declan and Bear's stuff is like dream. It's funny because um, like you were saying, it wasn't, I knew music was there, but it didn't become a character until we started shooting and I hadn't written the songs at that point. You know, I'd, I think I'd written the lyrics for uh, maybe a little bit of Black Rose. Um, and when we auditioned Sophia, she did, we had her read the sides, you know, when we got the tape in and then it was a little music piece and I could see she could, had chops. But having chops for singing isn't the same thing as being able to carry through character through song. It's it's a very different thing. And I, we just, I'm just, yeah, I can never, you know, think how lucky I was that Sophia has that soul inside her, you know, because you can be technically perfect, but Sophia, who's now disappeared, um, has perfect soul, you know, so that was amazing. And uh, literally the last thing to get written, because you're writing the whole time, you're, you're writing on set and changing scenes and all that, you know, but all the time at the back of my head is you've got to write these songs, man, you got to write these songs. And it was very, very late. And I, I waited until um, Sophia and Ayla were so embedded in the show and in my head that these songs could evolve. And then I'm sitting in London scribbling these down and I knew they had to work a cappella because that's what a traveling person would do, you know, traveling nomadic sort of bard to communicate with people who have nothing, maybe not even instruments. Um, and they had to work on that folk sense. And she just nailed it. That scene in the cave uh, where she sings, that was one take. And we were going to overdub that later. We didn't. We just used it. And like, as soon as she finished it, as soon as Sophia finished in that cave. <laughs> you just you just don't like people talking about you and you get very nervous. Um, but as soon as that take finished in the cave, it was like two or three seconds of silence. And everybody went, oh. and yeah, it's just nailed that. But without Sophia's soul, I couldn't have written these songs. I was just saying, Sophia, that I had to wait until I knew you and how you were doing and going to take ill on this journey before I could write the songs. And that's why they came so late to a terrifying point, point where I was really, really scared that I, I started building up so much. I was scared I couldn't write them. And then, of course, I get to work with Bear McCreary at the end and he puts the music on top, you know, uh, and he's like an all time hero of mine. So I was like, this is just the best in the world. I, I love all those details and and everything else that went into making this show. It's a really wonderful series. So congratulations on everything with it. And thank you so much for such a lovely conversation and sharing so much of this with us today. Thank you. Really appreciate it.